Kyler, a 45-year-old male, is new to your clinic. He comes in today because he's been noticing bruises all over his skin. He also reports that his gums bleed when he brushes his teeth. He doesn't take any medications and specifically specifies that he does not use aspirin. On examination, you see evidence of oral mucosal bleeding and you note ecchymoses on the upper and lower extremities and trunk. His spleen is not enlarged. How will you explain the diagnosis to Kyler? Hi and welcome to AudioBricks. This is Alex Dennis and you're listening to The Brick on laying the foundations and frameworks for bleeding disorders. After this episode, you'll be able to 1. Define bleeding disorders 2. Describe the clinical presentation of a patient with a bleeding disorder 3. Explain what causes hereditary and acquired bleeding disorders 4. Explain how bleeding disorders are diagnosed and 5. Outline the management of bleeding disorders Part 1. What are bleeding disorders? Bleeding disorders occur when blood doesn't clot like it should. Normally, when a hole appears in a blood vessel, platelets and clotting factors work together to stop the bleeding. The platelets clump together to form a soft plug, and then fibrin seals and anchors that plug. But this process can go wrong in many ways, and many types of bleeding disorders can result, sometimes with catastrophic bleeding and increased morbidity and mortality for the patient. Note that the opposite problem, thrombotic disorders, are too much clotting. Part 2. How do patients with a bleeding disorder present? In general, bleeding disorders may be due to problems with platelets, either reduced number or function, or due to problems with the coagulation cascade. These two groups tend to bleed in different places and with different clinical patterns. We'll talk about the specific disorders in detail in other episodes, but here we'll give an overview of how to think about them so you have a solid foundation to build on. Okay, let's start with our first dichotomy, platelet disorders versus abnormalities with clotting factors. When a patient is bleeding excessively, you must first determine whether the cause of the bleeding is due to platelet abnormalities, which represent problems with primary hemostasis, or factor abnormalities, which represent problems with secondary hemostasis. Although laboratory testing is the mainstay of diagnosis, the clinical picture can help narrow the potential diagnoses. Keep in mind that these are generalizations. In real life, symptoms can overlap and severity ranges widely depending on residual function. The clinical picture just points you in a general direction, usually platelets versus coagulation, so you know how to start the workup. In terms of primary hemostasis, basically, one of two platelet problems can cause excessive bleeding. Either a decreased platelet count, so thrombocytopenia, or platelet function is impaired. Patients with either type of problem tend to present with spontaneous skin and mucous membrane bleeding. Normally, the platelets lining the vessel walls provide physical protection against blood seepage between endothelial cells. If they are malfunctioning or insufficient, this protection is lost and blood seeps from capillaries forming pinpoint red-purplish-brownish spots called petechiae on the skin. Mucous membrane bleeding includes nosebleeds, heavy menstrual periods, menorrhagia, and oral or gingival bleeding. 
Overall, when I think of platelet disorders, it helps me to remember superficial bleeding, skin and mucous membranes, things I can see. On the other hand, deficiencies in coagulation factors, like hemophilia, tend to cause a different type of bleeding. Patients with coagulation factor deficiencies tend to bleed after a traumatic injury, although they may not remember the specific injury and it might have seemed insignificant. For example, they may have had dental surgery and then hours later experience excessive bleeding from the surgical site. Such patients can form a platelet plug, so are able to achieve temporary hemostasis right after an injury, but they are not able to make fibrin well, so the platelet plug is unsealed up and washes away after some time. Patients with severe factor deficiencies bleed into joints, hemarthrosis, and deep soft tissue, hematoma. That might look like someone presenting with a big swollen knee after sustaining a minor trauma. Bleeding into the gastrointestinal tract, which might manifest as blood in the stool, and the genital urinary tract, which might manifest as hematuria, is also possible. So as opposed to the superficial bleeding, this is deep bleeding. But remember, things are very rarely so obvious in real life. Let's pause here for our first question. How do patients with platelet problems generally present compared with patients with coagulation problems? Patients with platelet problems tend to have superficial, spontaneous bleeding and present with petechiae, whereas patients with coagulation problems tend to have delayed, deep bleeding related to trauma and may present with hemarthrosis and hematomas. Part 3. What are the main causes of bleeding disorders? We'll divide both the platelet bleeding disorders and factor bleeding disorders into two main groups, hereditary versus acquired. This is how we'll do it. We'll start with platelet disorders first, hereditary, then acquired, and then we'll cover the factor disorders, same trend, hereditary, then acquired. Alright, beginning with hereditary platelet bleeding disorders. Kicking it off with von Willebrand disease, this is the most common hereditary bleeding disorder. It occurs in about 1 in 100 people, but many are totally asymptomatic. It is caused by a decreased amount of functional von Willebrand factor, the protein that helps platelets bind to the subendothelium, or a qualitative defect in the factor. Most other hereditary platelet disorders, such as Bernard-Soulier syndrome, which is a GP1B receptor deficiency, are very rare. In these disorders, the platelets have a defective or missing important structure. Another example is Glanzmann thrombastinia, in which GP2B3A deficiency or loss results in a loss of platelet function. Moving on to the acquired platelet bleeding disorders now, the most common cause of thrombocytopenia in children and adults is immune thrombocytopenia, ITP, formerly called idiopathic thrombocytopenic purpura. In this disorder, patients make antibodies against their platelets for an unknown reason, marking them for destruction in the spleen. Eventually, the platelet count drops so low that patients begin to get symptoms, such as easy bruising or purpura. Your typical demographic for this is women of childbearing age. ITP causes low platelets due to the presence of autoantibodies. In contrast, the thrombotic microangiopathies thrombotic thrombocytopenic purpura, TTP, and hemolytic uremic syndrome, HUS, have low platelet count due to aberrant aggregation of platelets causing microthrombi. So these disorders are characterized by widespread platelet activation and aggregation, and again, 
low platelet count. The coagulation system isn't affected though, so these disorders are different from disseminated intravascular coagulation. TTP and HUS share some clinical similarities, but their causes differ. TTP most often occurs in previously healthy patients and sometimes in those who are pregnant or have autoimmune diseases like lupus. In contrast, HUS is seen in ill children after an infectious diarrheal illness. Bacteria that produce shiga toxin cause endothelial damage, thereby triggering platelet aggregation. These are a few causes of low platelet count, but thrombocytopenia can also be due to hematologic diseases that suppress or invade the bone marrow, where platelets are formed. For instance, in acute leukemia, pancytopenia, which represents a low count of all cell types, is a common finding. Let's shift gears to talk about an acquired disease where platelet count is normal, but the function is impaired. Here, the most common cause is uremia, which is a severe complication of chronic kidney disease. As kidney function worsens, toxic byproducts of cell metabolism accumulate in the blood and impair normal platelet function, without diminishing their number, leading to bleeding abnormalities. Now for factor bleeding disorders, starting with the hereditary ones. These are your hemophilias. Hemophilia A is rare, but it's the most common factor deficiency, not the most common hereditary bleeding disorder. Patients are deficient in factor 8, and it's an X-linked recessive disorder, so females are carriers for the condition, and males are usually those affected. Hemophilia B is even rarer than hemophilia A. It's also X-linked recessive, but in this case, factor 9 is deficient. A with 8, B with 9. Let's pause here for a quick question. Why are hemophilia A and hemophilia B usually seen in males rather than females? Hemophilia A and B are seen mostly in males because they are both X-linked recessive disorders. Finally, we've reached our acquired factor bleeding disorders. And this is really where you're thinking about vitamin K deficiency, since it is essential for the synthesis of coagulation factors 2, 7, 9, and 10 in the liver. Prolonged or severe vitamin K deficiency can lead to excessive bleeding. This deficiency is usually seen in extreme malnutrition, either due to insufficient intake or gut malabsorption, so not that common. Liver failure as in cirrhosis can lead to lack of hepatic synthesis of coagulation factors with reduced coagulation factor levels and increased bleeding. This reduces secondary hemostasis and the soft platelet plug will not be reinforced by fibrin. Finally, disseminated intravascular coagulation, DIC, a very critical condition, is seen in severely ill patients, particularly those with sepsis, which is a systemic blood infection. DIC starts when something triggers the coagulation cascade, causing rampant, widespread clot formation. Then, as platelets and coagulation factors are depleted, bleeding becomes a problem. DIC is sometimes referred to as consumptive coagulopathy because platelets and coagulation factors are consumed in this pathologic process. Part 4. How do we diagnose bleeding disorders? Laboratory tests such as platelet count, blood smear, thrombin time, prothrombin time, PT, activated partial thromboplastin time, APTT, specific factor assays and genetic tests can aid in the diagnosis of bleeding disorders. Since we went through a lot of clotting disorders in this episode, 
I won't list each lap finding for each of those. Instead, I want to go through what bleeding time, PT, and APTT measure and how you might be able to infer how these would be affected based on the underlying pathophysiology. Let's start with bleeding time. Bleeding time assesses platelet function. Platelet function is the ability to make a quick patch. You can imagine that that's down both when there's not enough platelets, but also when the platelets aren't functioning well. If platelets don't function well for whatever reason, then the bleeding time is increased, so that's in every condition where platelets are affected. Von Willebrand disease, ITP, the microangiopathies, thrombocytopenia, and DIC. PT and APTT look at different branches of the coagulation pathway. PT assesses the extrinsic and common pathways, and APTT assesses the intrinsic and common pathways. PTT has more letters, so I think about the high-numbered coagulation factors, 12, 11, 9, and 8, and also 10, whereas PT is for extrinsic pathway coagulation factor 7. So PT and PTT are normal in diseases of platelets, with the exception that APTT can be prolonged in von Willebrand disease because von Willebrand factor stabilizes factor 8. Hemophilia A and B represent deficiencies in factors 8 and 9, so APTT is prolonged while PT is normal. And then vitamin K deficiency, you have a bunch of factors, including 7 that are out of commission, so both PT and APTT are up, while in DIC, there is a rapid consumption of all factors, so both of these times, in addition to bleeding time, are also prolonged. Let's see if you're able to apply what we just discussed. What would you expect the lab findings to be for immune thrombocytic purpura? Remember, this is a disorder in which autoantibodies label platelets for destruction. You're thinking low platelet count, prolonged bleeding time because diminished platelet function, but normal PT and APTT. Part 5. How do we manage bleeding disorders? The treatment of bleeding disorders depends on the type of disorder. If a patient presents with significant bleeding and or hemodynamic instability, transfusion of blood or blood products may be required. Erythrocyte transfusions are generally administered when serum hemoglobin levels fall below 8 grams per deciliter and platelet transfusions when the platelet count is under 50,000. However, these thresholds are not absolute and many individual factors can influence therapeutic decisions. In some situations, medications and or infusions are provided to help enhance the performance of or replace the defective components of the clotting cascade. For example, Coagulation factor concentrate or fresh frozen plasma might be used to compensate for isolated factor deficiencies or excessive consumption, example in the case of DIC. ITP can be treated with glucocorticoids and intravenous immunoglobulins. Let's try a final question before recap. What therapeutic blood products may help treat bleeding disorders? Erythrocyte and platelet transfusions coagulation factor concentrates, and fresh frozen plasma may help treat bleeding disorders. And that is all I have today on foundations and frameworks of bleeding disorders. Let's see what you want to be taking away from this episode. What are the two main causes of bleeding disorders? 
Bleeding disorders can occur due to either platelet abnormalities, which represent problems with primary hemostasis, or factor abnormalities, which represent problems with secondary hemostasis. What is the main difference in the clinical presentations of patients with disorders of primary versus secondary hemostasis? Bleeding caused by platelet problems usually results in spontaneous, superficial bleeds within the skin and mucosae, while bleeding caused by clotting factor problems usually results in deep bleeding, such as hematomas and hemarthrosis, or bleeding into the GI or GU tracts. These often occur after injury or trauma to a body surface. What diseases typically have prolonged bleeding time as a lab finding? Bleeding time assesses platelet function, i.e. the intactness of primary hemostasis. So disorders in which platelet function is impaired for whatever reason will see an increased bleeding time. What parameters do PT and PTT assess? PT and PTT assess different branches of the coagulation cascade, so these times might be elevated in disorders of clotting factors. Please keep in mind that in real life, just like in many other conditions, these lab findings might not always reflect what you'd expect based on the pathophysiology. And finally, what products may be given to patients experiencing a significant hemorrhage or hemodynamic instability? Therapeutic blood products, such as transfusions and coagulation factor products, can be useful to stabilize such a patient. Armed with your newfound knowledge, let's think back to our patient from the beginning of this episode. Kyler comes in today with a chief complaint of generalized bruising. He reports that his gums bleed when he brushes his teeth. He doesn't take any medications, including aspirin. On examination, you see evidence of oral mucosal bleeding, and you note ecchymoses on the upper and lower extremities and trunk. His spleen is not enlarged. How do you explain the diagnosis to him? You know that new onset of easy bruising is consistent with a platelet problem, either a decrease in number or an abnormality in function that is acquired, not hereditary. His platelets are found to be decreased. After a consultation, a hematologist diagnoses Kyler with immune thrombocytopenia. You explain to Kyler that patients with ITP make antibodies against their own platelets, and these platelets then get destroyed in the spleen. When the platelet count gets low, like in Kyler's case, easy bruising can occur. He is given prednisone, which is a glucocorticoid, and four weeks later, his bruising is gone and his platelet count is normal. And that's a wrap on foundations and frameworks of bleeding disorders. Remember, generally speaking, platelet disorders make superficial bleeds, while clotting disorders make for deep bleeds. But, as with the lab findings, keep an open mind when you get seemingly conflicting findings. If you enjoyed what you heard, make sure to like and subscribe to this podcast. Your feedback is always super helpful to us. You can also get the full RX Bricks experience online at www.usmle-rx.com. Best of luck and take care.